Hello and welcome to podcast number 86. I'm your host, Brian Heinesser. Joining me this evening, coming back for a second round of punishment, it's Terry. Hi everyone. And coming coming around for his usual bi-weekly dose of abuse, Mac. Uh, this is the only place that I get abuse? Well, no, no. I'm pretty sure that's it, not true. It's your bi-weekly dose. Actually, it should be. I should have said Ian's bi-weekly dose because he's the one who's been getting a dose of bi-weekly here recently. True. That's true. And, of course, that's that's Ian. Yep. How is everybody doing this evening? Doing great. Well, that's. that's I'm still good. wondering what doctor prescribed the bi-weekly, bi-weekly dose of abuse. <laughs> Because I'm pretty sure I want a second opinion. <laughs> I would say that you're self-medicating. Ooh, mm. nice. <laughs> and keeping busy, getting ready for Comic-Con. Me yeah, Brian it's coming up it. this Friday. We, we will be there. I've actually had to reorganize my comics because um, I've gotten bad over the last decade. I, I had to stop collecting for financial reasons. But I still, um, I still had over a decade worth of comics that I hadn't organized. And I knew I had comics that were um, done by some of the artists that will be there this weekend. And so it's like, oh, crap, i got to figure out how the hell to get through this mess. So I, uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've spent a lot of time going through my comics. But I've gotten quite a bit that I'll get autographed. So it'll be cool. All right. Well, Ian, why don't you do your announcements? All right, well, just two quick little things. One I brought up about a month ago, the Martian Wave Kickstarter campaign. Um, less than... I I think it only has like 12 days left to go. So by the time this, by the time this podcast actually gets up, he'll probably have less than a week to go. But he's only about halfway there. I'd love to help it basically. Um, what it is is a local author editor who I work with, um, took over. He, he's been editing these, um, magazines for a while, but Sam's Dot Publishing split up into different, um, publishing houses and Jay took, th- uh, I think three all together with him to um nomadic delirium press and he's trying to make sure he has enough money to get the um, next issue of martian wave out there and so he's doing a kickstarter campaign to raise money um it, he has that set up for rewards from five dollars all the way up to like 200 or 300 i think but check it out if you can i mean to me small press is something that needs to keep building because it's a great start for writers like myself um there is talent out there there's some great stuff you can find in the small press and uh, you know something like this is more important than the multi-million dollar movies that um keep ending up on kickstarter because to me this is what kickstarter should be small stuff that really needs the help so you know i'm going to promote him going to help him because he's published me a few times in fact the next announcement is from um pneumatic delirium press because i'm one one of the only people besides the creators who actually does anything for the um, Ephemeris RPG they have. And I just put together an adventure called The Secrets of Gladium 4, which is available if you're into um, science fiction role-playing games. I recommend checking it out. This is the second thing I've done for them. I have a couple other things I've been working on. But um, just for it, I put a few little things out there. All right. And, of course, since we don't have Kimberly... We don't have our regular set of announcements, but you can go over to the Secular Hub and look at the community calendar and find out what's going on all over. So I, I uh, last week we didn't get to these. I had some stuff up uh, from Pat Robertson. Can we really call this uh, this man uh, or call this religious stupidity anymore? I, has he gone past it's that not, point where it's he's not just, religious stupidity? It's just plain Pat Robertson. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. I, you know, we we had the thing a little while back, and I kind of came to the conclusion that the man's, you know, kind of gone batshit crazy. 
uh, assuming he was ever saying. Well, I mean, he was what he was a faith healer, and I mean, the the question is, what is his reach? How many people is he reaching on a regular basis? Who who does anybody listen to him anymore? That, I mean, it, that takes him seriously. I I think that he is doing stuff to shock people so that he does get press and he does get. You know, I, I don't, I, I made the remark about him being batshit crazy, but honestly, I think that this is actually all very calculated and it's calculated to get him the same kind of notoriety as, uh, the Westboro Baptist Church, where they don't believe there's such a thing as bad press. Well, and in, in a way that they're, they're right. I mean, it keeps him, um, it keeps him in the news cycle, but does it further his actual agenda? Well, are people sending him money? Well, I mean, somebody's funding him, right? Yeah, they they must yeah. be. So it, it well, keeps him topical, but then you know, so's hydrocortisone. It's one of those things where you know I don't know why they want back a guy like that because he actually hurts their cause greatly. Yeah. His arguments and stuff. Whether or not he's trying to get attention or is batshit crazy, it doesn't matter. He's hurting their cause. And well, I'm sure there's actually some segment of of the you know the more religious that he is reaching and there's some segment that he just strikes a chord with. Part of the reason that this article irritated me so much is the declaration that um, Jason Collins is not a Christian uh, walking in open rebellion of God and Jesus and God to Jesus Christ. His, his interpretation of, of bigotry and he wants to protect hate speech that was his whole thing is that, you know, that, that these things that people are saying that people are starting to call it hate speech and that we need to, we need to watch our First Amendment rights. It's like, well, just because we say that it's hate speech is not impinging on your First Amendment rights. Right. And he seems to have, he seems to not care what the actual First Amendment says. He probably understands it. Well, I'm to sure Max point. Well, I find most of the people that quote, you know, that, that use the amendment saying, oh, you know, these are my whatever amendment rights, really don't care what it actually says. They just figure, hey, I, I know, you know, what I want to do is try and make a point that, hey, look, you guys trying to tell me I have to act a certain way and be civil or something defies my rights. And it's like, well, actually, um, it doesn't defy your rights to label it as hate speech. It would defy your rights by saying you can't say it, but we can call it whatever the hell we want. Right. And, but Absolutely. he was, but he was trying to protect his First Amendment rights and not let people call this hate speech is the interpretation I got from watching his video. But that's another thing just to get reactions like, oh, they attacked my First It's kind of like some of the gun control people out there that don't completely understand, you know, the Second Amendment. You know, they, they keep using it. It's like, well, actually, it doesn't say anything about what you seem to think it says. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the NRA is in the news pretty much every week with, you know, with all these gun bills being passed. You know, they, they come out against every single one of them. But really, the NRA's business is a lobby group for people who want to sell guns. And what do, what do all of these laws do? They help sell guns. You and know, the, thing, the Second Amendment even says regulated militia. Yeah. So, so, but it's that kind of it's kind of that kind of abuse of the Constitution. Yeah. You know, where where they want where they're they're saying they want to they want to use it one way to accomplish another goal, and it works. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. You know, it, it's definitely a um, style used to get attention drawn to you. It's like they're attacking my rights. Actually, they're not. But you want to twist it. Well, and then it then it causes people who are not constitutional scholars to sort of question 
their own opinions, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. I have to go look at the First Amendment or I have to go look at the Establishment Clause or the Second Amendment, you know, in order to rebut that. It's great when ways. people actually go and read them though, which is what I, which is what I did. Um, when this came out is I thought, well, I, I need to go reread the First Amendment to the Constitution. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the whole, um, what was the NAMBA thing? There was, um, you know, the MAMBA, Man Boy yeah, Love Man Association. Boy Love, yeah. ah. Um, they had a website and they said, we believed that, you know, this should be allowed. And a lot of people were upset by that. And the government kind of, you know, went to court and they said, well, whether or not what they're saying is socially acceptable, they have the right to say it. And you have the right to disagree completely and think it's disgusting. But as long as they don't act on it, they've done nothing illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Which so. is, which is quite true. I mean, you can you can say anything you like under the First Amendment, assuming you know if you don't libel or uh, slander somebody. They, if you libel or somebody libel or slander somebody, they can sue you for what you said, but you can still say it. Well, we had a professor here at uh, CU Boulder who lost oh, his yeah. job because he was um he was saying stuff about nine eleven. Churchill, right. right? Was that yes? The same? That, yeah. yeah, I think that's the gentleman. <laughs> And, well, uh, he had the right to say it, but you know, at the same time, the or the college had the right to terminate his contract because they didn't like what he was saying. Yes, and that's well, those people seem to have a disconnect there. They think that because the First Amendment says I can say it, doesn't mean that means that there should be no repercussions whatsoever. And that's how that and that's how like my mother and my aunt saw it. It's like, well, it's not quite quite to that. In case he was saying it more or less as a link to the school. And the school's right. like, wait a minute, we don't want to be linked to this. Right. He didn't he didn't specify that this was his own personal view when he made those. Well I think he was saying a lot of it at you know at school um on the school grounds and wasn't such. it in a book too? Didn't he write a book? I'm not sure on that. Yeah I don't remember. So yeah. yeah. But, but you know the the thing of it is if somebody is a if somebody's a teacher for a school they kinda they kind of represent the school. Yeah. When they speak when they speak at school they kind of are a representative of the school, just like, you know, you're a representative of the company that you work for. I'm a representative of the company that I work for. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, I mean, we mentioned the Westboro Baptists, and of course, they do the same kind of thing. And they declared that the tornado was because of uh, uh, Jason Collins coming out as gay. The tornado that hit Oklahoma City. Yeah, the, like- the recent one they hit Oklahoma City. Did they actually beat Pat Robertson to that, or did he get there? First? You know what? I looked to see if Pat Robertson had said anything, and he and I didn't find anything. The most recent thing from Pat Robertson is him telling this woman that uh, um, his that basically she's responsible for um, her husband cheating on her, and that she should just get over it. Oh, that's right. I, I yeah. did see that. <laughs> <laughs> I did found this one beforehand, and when I saw Brian had put up the um, Westboro Baptist Church, when I had to do this follow up. So Westboro, you know that their website is God Hates Fag, and they have a million different ones related that God hates America, God hates everything else in the fucking world. Well, so after Oklahoma the Oklahoma stuff, they um, went and put up the website God Hates Oklahoma. It got hacked. And what the hackers did was they put up a painting of Jesus giving the middle finger, accompanied by the message, Westboro Baptist. Well, apparently Baptist is combining the word Baptist and Fap, which is slang for Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Even Jesus hates you. <laughs> and then below the message, on the eighth day, God created hackers, and he saw that it was... <laughs> and then basically, it redirects you to page... Um, to Ian, you're cutting Ian, out. Ian, you're cutting in and out. Actually, I'm hurt. I didn't know why that automatic video... <laughs> but, um, so, 
it automatically links to the Red Cross recovery efforts for the Oklahoma tornado. I was like, okay, that's just brilliant. <laughs> Definitely a great way to hack a website. Yeah, was it anonymous? Did they come out and take responsibility uh, no, for this? Something called Jester. Okay. Who oh. Something else on him. He's somewhat known. Yeah. You know, I, I got to say, as, as funny as this is, it's, it's still illegal and uh, it should not happen. I, I know it sucks. Do something like that, and you're going to hack a hate site. Go and say, make something worthwhile of it. You know, hack and say, okay, this no, is no, what- no, 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 no. Don't don't hack them at all. Well, don't <laughs> hack them. But if you're going to hack them, at least make it something positive in the end. No, don't hack them. It's illegal. So what's, it's, what's the alternative, Brian? What's the subversive alternative? What's the subversive. The the problem is, is it's wire fraud. If you get caught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not saying you commit the crime, but if you're going to commit the no! crime. No! <laughs> Stop! Ian does not represent my opinion on this topic. <laughs> it's, you know. Did the crime do something negative? Yes, it did. It, it, it invaded, it, it invaded somebody else's space. No, but I'm saying if you're going to do the crime. See, I'm saying, we're not telling everyone to go out there and hack, but if you're going to hack, do it productively and have a positive input, uh, a positive outlook to it. And, you know, in the end, you know, help people. Which is Ian's, they- Ian's thoughts on this also don't represent my thoughts or my meager HTML abilities where I can just vaguely put a link into a statement. I, I can't hack. I have no skills whatsoever in that, but... I can only hack when I need my inhaler. Yeah, this is a script kitty, you know. I mean, this is not this is not high tech hacking. No. And and really, any website can be hacked. Ours could be hacked. I I keep it patched, but that that means nothing, you know. Uh, did you just say script kitty? Yes. Doesn't that just put pictures of cats on something? I I'm I'm. I, apparently, I don't know what a script kitty is. Uh, yeah, it's just somebody who 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 just runs the scripts and the exploits against the site. They aren't building them. They they they're taking known exploits and they're just exploiting a site. Uh, okay. You know, it's. I mean, there there are there are hackers you know that that can build those scripts that can actually look and find those weak points, and there's other ones that can look and say, "Hey, he's using this version of the software. These exploits will you know are are capable of uh, you know of giving me root access to that site and and employing them." So, and I suspect that that's more than likely what happened here. Maybe this guy is a better hacker than I'm giving him credit for, and that's it's very possible. But it's just. Well, you know, the bottom line on this is it goes back to the First Amendment. The Westboro Baptist Church has got the right to say whatever dumbass things they want to say. And hey, I don't why, mean why, that why as anything against our friend into dumbass. This? Sorry? Don't bring dumbass into this. I'm just saying. I'm saying. I don't mean anything against our friend dumbass. I'm. <laughs> All right. So anyway, don't hack people's sites. It's wrong. Yeah. Even, if we, even, if, even if we don't just... like them. I'm sorry, Terry. Sorry, I was just going to say that I don't think Jesus really hates people who fap either. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. And of course, that's a great lead into our main topic for tonight. Woohoo! Okay, so the title of this podcast I came up with was Art or Porn. And basically, it started because of this the first one we're going to go over here. Um, I don't know how many people know it. Most of us have read The Diary of Anne Frank back in school. And the one my generation would have read was a very edited version of it. Not very, but it was edited. So I shouldn't say very. It was edited by her sure father one, specifically. 
pretty sure the one that I read was edited too. Yeah. yeah well, the, um, the, when we were in school, that was the only edited version available. The, the unedited didn't come out till recent, and that's what's caused all the hype over. But in what, what was edited out was um, apparently she was a typical teenage girl and actually wrote some rather unpleasant things about her parents in it. Which, the, since it was her father that was putting it out there, he kind of I guess didn't want that in there because he felt it didn't make him look good. And the other thing was. Once more, she is a young girl, you know, right in her teenage years, her body's changing. And she apparently wrote about things she was noticing about her body. And that's what actually is causing this little uproar. If you read how this started, a Michigan mom is upset over the pornographic, those quotes there, material her seventh grade daughter was assigned to read. Now, here's the part that is being called, um... Pornographic. I, I know it's on one of these. Well, I have it. I have it. It's on both of them. Um, the the link that I put up um, has a has a fuller version. Yeah. Um, that's probably not necessary. Uh, what's even funnier is that I thought urine came out of the clitoris. When you stand up, all you can see from the front is hair. Between your legs, there are two so- um, there are yeah. two soft, cushiony things, also covered with hair which press together when you stand, so you can't see what's inside. They separate when you sit down, and they're very red and quite flesh-like. And, I mean, and it goes on from there. I mean, but... But for me, something to be pornographic has to be arousing in some way. If you are aroused by this, if you find this sexual in any way, please go and seek help right now. Okay? Uh, you know, Ooh. the thing of it is, anything that's out there is going to be arousing to somebody, Ian. And if, if that arouses you, you're a bit disturbed because there's nothing sexual in this. This is a, this couldn't doesn't even necessarily have to be a description of her genitalia. I okay, mean, hold hey. on, Whoa. hold on there, Ian. Yeah, you know, you're you're getting into we're we're going back toward the First Amendment here, and I'm going to say this because you don't have the right to judge what arouses other people. Well, no, because if well, you have the right to judge what arouses other people, I'm saying that if this arouse, if you read this and you get sexual in your head. There's probably a good chance you, um, there's some sort of sexual deviant behavior going on. Well, wait, what's wrong with sexually deviant behavior? Um, well, we can go back to Mamba level of stuff. I'm, I mean, seriously, there's nothing sexual with this. I is, don't, I don't it, find it arousing, but I'm just saying that you can't really make a judgment over what people find arousing. There are so many factors that go into what somebody finds arousing. So many things, so many life experiences that you have no concept of, there's, you can't really judge what somebody is going to find arousing. Okay. Well, and and if you, it's, I was just going to say, if it's middle school kids, they're pretty risable. I mean, yeah. if that's, yeah. And, but here's the other thing is that, I mean, the, Ian's point aside, because whether you find this arousing or not, it, this is fairly clinical. Yeah. It okay. is. I, I, if you found this arousing, don't read a biology textbook. <laughs> Get away right, from the... But, but and, and and if somebody did find this arousing, I would say that 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 is okay. I I I don't really care. I I I'd give them a funny look and keep them away from kids myself. But here, no, why? I anyway, the the intention of this, and I and I think that we that we should try. I, I I don't know. Maybe that's wrong, but I think that the intention of this is not to be pornographic. It is no. it is a it is a diary of a young girl. Who is discovering herself? And you know what? Three-year-olds learn to masturbate. Now, you see, the, the interesting thing I always thought the whole concept of reading the diary of Anne Frank in, in itself is actually a bit of a violation. This is a young girl's personal diary. 
the, the fact that we re- if she was still alive today, she would be embarrassed to no end. Maybe, There's, yeah. But at the same time, you look at what the Diary of Anne Frank is, it is actually, I think, a very important thing to read. Whether or not it's a word, you know, there is a sense of violation to it, but it shows this young girl in, um, you know, who's basically hiding for her life. I mean, th- this is the type of thing no one should ever have to go through. You know, she knows that if she's found, her life is at risk. And, you know, it definitely cannot be an easy thing. Yet you read the diary, she is a typical young girl. She goes through a lot of the same things that any young girl goes through, which I think is one of the best parts about it is it shows she is normal. See, the, the second article um, has her cousin talking about it somewhat, although I didn't like one of the words he used. Right. But here's the thing is that so this is an articulate young woman who was sure. able to put her put pen and paper together in in a manner that is engaging. Oh, yeah, yeah she's. She's documenting her own experiences. Mm-hmm. If anything, she's trying to be normal in an in, in an abnormal situation. If, if anything, I almost think you should require young women to read this to understand that they should be comfortable with what they're going through. Wait, hold on. No, why just young women? Why not young men? Yeah, yeah. Young men as well. Okay. Uh, but it, so, so, you know, again, going to case, guess what? Everyone does it. <laughs> and you shouldn't feel awkward about it. You should understand, you know, no matter what situation you're in, when you hit that stage, you know, your body's going to change and it doesn't, it's not a bad thing. It's, you know, you notice it, it's like, okay, that's what's going on. You know, if, if my boys read it and they came to me and said, this makes them feel weird, I'd sit down and say, okay, what about it? It, it bothers you and actually have a talk based on it. And I do the, think the permission slip idea is not a bad idea, though. But why? Yeah, that was my question, too. Because it it is a situation, it is it is things that are going to make some kids feel uncomfortable. Okay, so uh, actually, uh, to address that, um, I was looking for sex ed standards, and I took it out of here because I didn't find exactly what I was looking for, but I should have left it in to make this point, that Colorado is looking to change their laws so that sex ed is opt-out and not opt-in. And and this is the same kind of situation where I think it should be opt-out and, and, and not opt-in. Because, quite frankly, what's being said in there is pretty age-appropriate yeah. for the age that this is going out. And if something is age-appropriate, and we have standards to determine that, and Colorado has standards, which is what I was looking for and didn't find, it, if it is within those standards, I believe it should be opt-in. Because the problem is, is that – or opt-out, rather. Because if it's opt-in, it's more likely that – It's um, one more barrier. It's one more barrier. There you go. That's what I want to say. Yep. Well, interestingly, um, so I have younger kids, and we, our pediatrician just had um, their records go electronic so that I can log in and, like, see my kids' vaccination records and things like that. Um, and I read a disclaimer that said, you know, at a certain age, and I can't remember what that is, I don't have full access to their medical information anymore, and I think it's to protect kids who need reproductive services or help with contraception from their parents. That makes sense. Yeah. That that could become problematic because if the kid is under the age of 18, I don't know that they can legally restrict you from those records. Maybe but, I just can't see them online or something. Maybe, maybe. that might be true. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, uh, but I have young, I have three young girls as well. And actually I have one that is, you know, about the right age to start reading this. Yeah. And I have no issue with what I've read. Yeah. Yeah, My wife um, grew up, she wasn't allowed to take sex ed in school. Um, and she, when I met her at the age of 21, she really didn't have an understanding of her own body because she wasn't allowed to be taught that. And it was, it's the, the, back then there was some kind of awkward things where I knew the workings of her body better than she did. And it's like, no, 21, a guy should not understand a woman's body better than a woman. 
but it was because he wasn't, you know, allowed to take sex ed and wasn't able to get that knowledge that, to me, is part of life. I mean, knowing your body, understanding sex, sexuality and stuff is important. I don't know how you could possibly make it through life without some of that. Well, I think um, just making it clinical, like in the Anne Frank example, you know, just exposing kids to the proper labels for things and teaching them, you know, just the basic mechanisms. I think that just talking about it openly will normalize it and take all of this, you know, or a lot of the secrecy and emotion and shame out of it. And that's, I think that's all to the good. Yeah. I mean, Ian, you made a point earlier that everybody masturbates. And unfortunately, that's not true. Um, there are people that are so stigmatized by this for, and I think a lot of times religious reasons, but they could be other reasons as well. And they feel dirty about it. I don't think I've ever said everyone masturbates. Everyone should masturbate. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, I don't think I've ever said everyone does. Okay. It's a natural, healthy thing, but you know, are we talking way back when we did the masturbation? I know. I thought you said it earlier. I thought, I thought you said it. Everybody no, does it. Everyone does, but you know, I, I think I said everyone goes through those changes. Right, but we add a layer in some cases of stigma to it, and so people won't try it. Um, if people think that you know they're going to... Uh, um, God's watching. Right, if God's watching. <laughs> exactly. I, I brought this up in the past. Nowhere in the Bible does it masturbation is bad. The only reference is that one guy that wouldn't knock up his um, sister-in-law. No, that's somebody spilled their instead. seeds, didn't they? Somebody spilled their seed on the ground. And yeah, got, somebody yep. said, um, that's, oh, God, I can't remember. Because yes. he didn't want to knock up his sister-in-law. Yeah. And that's the only, only, only reference to masturbation in the whole Bible. And the reason it was bad is because he was openly defying God and doing it. Is that strictly true? It might be. I don't know. Yeah, it is. The, okay. Uh, you will not find another, you will not find the Bible actually saying straight out the masturbation is bad. You might in the uh, NIV. It's not in there. Well, really? Um, I, I don't know about the Book of Mormon. I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure it's in the standard works of the LDS Church, but yeah. But in, in, in the Old New Testament, you know, the standard Christian Bible, one one reference to masturbation, and it was all because he's defying God and doing it. Uh, other than that, the Bible does not actually criticize masturbation, despite what many churches, you know, push. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's okay. I mean, that's. And, of course, talking about masturbation goes great into our next one. It doesn't matter. You know what, though? I, I just want to say it doesn't matter if it's in the Bible or not. It is what they're pushing. And they push a lot of stuff that isn't directly in their book. So you're saying they really don't have a grip on this. Well, I mean, the Trinity is not in the Bible either. But the majority of Christian sects do believe Mac, in the Trinity. Mac, I'm slow. Sorry, I'm laughing now. That was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we, hey, we start I can handle you being slow. <laughs> One that definitely has a sex, you know, to me at least, an obvious sexual arousing aspect to it on several levels. Oh wait, did we did we mention? I'm sorry, on the Anne Frank side, did we mention that the committee ruled against her and no, uh, said that um, said that uh, the committee ruled that uh, the title the title's removal would effectively impose uh, s- situational censorship. And so they ruled against her to keep the book in the school. Good. Sorry, I thought that was important. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I'm glad you brought that up. So the rest of it, the rest of the stuff we're going to talk about is probably a little more debatable as to just how pornographic it is, you know, for art. And this next one definitely, like I said, um, I, I can understand their arousing nature here. I can, you know, and it's sure it's definitely sexual and I, I enjoyed watching the videos. Um, this one's oh, called yes. Hysterical Literature, The Orgasm as Art. And basically what this guy did was he got a bunch of women, 
have them sit down and start reading from a book and see how long they could actually read while the guy's assistant, he's hanging out under the table with a vibrator and is basically getting the women off. And it's definitely interesting to watch because, you know, first they're nice and calm and they start reading and you can see them starting to lose concentration little by little, breathing heavy and start, you know, losing control. And then finally just, you know, give it up. And, and most of the time it's the purely hysterical laughing. Uh, um, by the time they just can't read any further. Ian, I think you're faking that one. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the idea kind of was to mix um, the enjoyment of reading with sex, and I, I, I love that myself. As, as a writer, I definitely would love to hear a woman reading my stuff as he's orgasming. I can't think of anything else that would be more um, complimentary. You know, but... I, I definitely thought it was, you know, to me, it is art. There's a sexual, you know, you can have a strong sexual and you know arousal, and it can still be art and not porn. And this one, it's one of those that, you know, I, I can see someone calling it porn getting closer to it than a lot of other stuff I've heard called porn. But it's definitely art as well. Well, wait a second. I mean, I, the one of the problems with your title is that who says that art isn't porn hmm? or porn isn't art? I mean, right, right from the start. Well, what, I mean, who... Even any, even the most, uh, I don't know. I, don't, I, I want to use the word raunchy. Uh, who's to say that isn't art? Well, I think when it all comes down to it, pornography is a bad word. We're, we, we, uh, or at least that's the way we perceive it as it's a bad word. So I think that if you like it, it's art. If you don't like it, it's pornography right. is probably the way a lot of people think of it. Yeah. So is it a subjective line of demarcation between art and pornography? I think it 100% is a subjective line of demarcation. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree. And the other thing that um, they refer to porn stars as models. Yeah. That sounds like not, art to me. Not actors. Yeah. Oh, well, or, yeah huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I They might call them actors and stuff, but a lot of times they are – or they're in pictures, they're models. Maybe, but they refer to, to them a lot of times as models. I don't know art, but I know what I like. <laughs> and what I like is pornography. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I love, um, they, ha- they give one of the interviews of one of the girls, and she's talking about, um, as I start reading, my disbelief is suspended. I forget what is about to happen. The first touch on my thigh sends all available blood to my vulva. I continue to Enunciate properly, focusing on the text. I've broken a sweat. If this goes on for much longer, I will be plastered to my head with perspiration, as though I've been working out or engaging in aerobatic man-woman penetrative fucking. I stumble over a word. My concentration breaks as I go back to pronounce it correctly. So it, it just, you know, to me, this is the type of art that I definitely enjoy watching. You know, I think, though, I, I think one of the things that we need to remember when when we're talking about pornography, we're talking about consensual sex on right in video of some sort. And we we when we did our other pornography, you know, uh, um, show, we also we got into the idea that um, some of these women may be being forced. And of course, if they're being forced to do it, is it still art, or is it just wrong on on multiple? Uh, yeah, I'm with wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I have. By such the way, a that was. That was show fifty-two. Okay, so but I guess my, my my point is is that when we're we're referring to consensual sex in in these and and we're assuming that everything that we're watching nobody is being forced to be there, right? Because it does change how we would look at something if we knew that that person was not willing, right? 
Well, actually, that fits in somewhat with the ideas on our next article here, and my own personal thing that um, um, connects to it that um, was recent. You know, so the next article I put up was um, inside Facebook's outsourced anti-porn and guard brigade, where camel toes are more offensive than crest heads. And the basic idea of the article is it talks about kind of what the people that are supposed to be um, skimming through Facebook are looking for when they find stuff to censor, and kind of how some of it doesn't quite make sense, you know, where their focus seems to be. Well, we I would say we do have, as a society, a much higher tolerance for violent images um, than we often do for sexual images. Uh, we will we will can something for having a uh, for having nipple. a nipple showing, but but you're right, somebody getting um, caught in an electric motor and torn to pieces might be okay. Well, I wonder if that's because it's more we we think on some level that it's more likely that it's faked if it's violent. I don't know. Well, the show um, Bates Motel. It's the um, kind of retelling the tale of Norman Bates, but uh, updating it for modern times. It's actually quite interesting. There's some really brilliant stuff in it. But oh, is uh, that the Bates Motel shows that you're talking about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right yeah, now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Near the end of the first episode, there is a truly, utterly violent rape scene. And when I saw that, I'm like, okay, the rest, the the, the rest of it didn't bother me enough to say my boys aren't going to watch that. But I saw the rape scene, which is apparently fine for television because no nudity was shown in it. But it was a truly violent, truly vulgar, truly violating this woman. And, you know, you you watch the scene and most people are going to, you know, say, ugh, you know, it bothers them. But that got on TV. You couldn't show nudity in there, which, um, you know, to me would actually be something I'm not as worried about my boys seeing. Let me ask you, because this uh, the um, the show, um, Penn and Teller's... Um, bullshit? Yeah, Bullshit. There was a lot of nudity in that. Did you yeah. have your have your boys watch that? Um, no. Okay, I've watched I've watched much of that with my middle child. Um, she and and I I didn't really care about her seeing the nudity and stuff like that. Um, and she's actually she'll she'll watch a lot of these. I, I'm I'm watching a lot of these hustle shows and stuff like that. Um, she she kind of is into that with me. Um, but I but the nudity in that was there, but it was not untasteful. Right. And it wasn't violent, and it didn't. And, and I had no problem with her seeing that. <clears throat> but you, pro- if if you saw the first episode you know of Bates Motel, you probably would not no, want them to watch it because, like that, that that rape scene. Yeah, yeah, the penises. I'm sorry, I was talking to my wife. I was, I mean, she thought it was all females. I'm like, no, that, no, there were some men there. Yeah. The, well, the, I I guess I assumed that they were men. They had penises. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but still, like I said, that um. For my boys, they laugh off the naked guys and be like, ew, gross, kind of thing, and be like, oh. And, and a lot of it they do mostly to bug their mother. See, um, my wife oh, doesn't want them to grow up. She's actually said stuff about that. So when my boys act like boys when they see something arousing, but like I said, I, I wouldn't let my boys see that violent rape scene. To me, that was definitely crossing the line. That was something that I think could leave nightmares, could leave some, some traumatic stuff to them that Let's wait a few more years till they can handle it better. While the nudity, I don't think is going to scar them. I don't think. Well, doesn't that also come back to knowing your child? True. That's um, part of that. I, I would hope most children, if not all, would actually be traumatized by the violent rape scene. It was not pleasant. It was not something a child should witness or have to ever, you know, whether real life or um, through fiction. Okay, it, it, Ian. Let me ask you this: okay. Were you traumatized by it? 
mildly, yes. It, 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 it sticks in my head. It's something that okay. I would like to forget I saw. Was it was the scene inappropriate for the show? No, it wasn't inappropriate no. for the show. It, it actually fit, the, it, especially when you start watching more of the show. They, they um, It's when we decide not to let the boys watch because there is some, you know, rather twisted stuff throughout it. That's funny because after watching the, watching the first episode, I haven't gone back to watch any more of it. You have watched the first episode yourself? Yeah, I've watched, oh yeah, I know, I know exactly the scene you're talking about, yeah. and I would tend to agree with you. Yeah, that, um, that was just a pretty traumatic scene. It's like, ooh, wow, they actually went there. I don't actually think that it would give, um, it, uh, my middle child, I don't think it would, it would give her nightmares, necessarily. She's, she's been watching great, or the Live and Walking Dead and some other stuff with my sister. And, Horror movies, it's not the same. I mean, that, yeah, maybe, you might be right. I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't I, showed it to her. You you can remove yourself from zombie attacks and supernatural stuff, but the the rape scene in Bates Motel that was very realistic. That was you know whether whatever you know the Bates Motel stuff has some twisted stuff, but it comes off as this could be reality. Hmm. And the way that scene went down, it very much felt like this could be reality. So you know we are a society that you know let's edit nudity and sex every chance we get, but we're not going to worry so much about the violence and you know like was. Was the rape scene um, male female? Yes, it was. It was it, particularly violent. I mean, it was disturbing. Yeah, yeah. But I was, that, you know, if you know the basic idea of Psycho, it's uh, the guy's pretty disturbed. And uh, one of the things about the show that I've enjoyed is knowing the movie, uh, even though legitimately this can't be the movie because they've updated it. In mo- it's modern times. You see a lot of the build up to that character we know from the movie, and that, that's the thing I've been enjoying the most is seeing you know. Norman Bates become this guy who really has a warped sense of reality. Right, but let's remember, I mean, as we've seen the movie, this show is far more graphic yeah. than... And that's um, another, you know, um, time-wise, we have, uh, I mean, I don't think they could have gotten away with a scene like that in the movie back then. But you know have. what, though? I still think that that shower <laughs> scene from that original movie would be less effective if they showed more. I think that Hitchcock did such a brilliant job he used like seventy-two camera angles to make that happen. Um, I, you know, I really think you that, know the yeah. shower scene was effective if the actress who was in it wouldn't take a shower. Yeah, she had to take baths for the rest of her life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I he uh, was, you know, yeah. talking of of violent things that have been updated and modernized. I've watched a few episodes of Hannibal, which is not really anything to do with with art or porn, but anyway. <laughs> Well, but can violence be pornographic? Sure. Like, is there a level of violence? Violence. I I think that I think that in a lot of times violence becomes pornographic. Um, there's a there's a term that's used now, torture porn, where you know essentially you're, you know, we're talking like the Saw movies and things like that, where there is actually a a sexualization given to basically destroying the body. Oh, that- yeah. Yeah. Well, that's work. a showstopper. I mean, Brian's the one that had to mention two girls in a cup. <laughs> two girls, one cup. <laughs> to me, that is a endurance thing. If you can, make, the longer you can make it without going to vomit, the stronger your um resistance. <laughs> I think I lasted about twelve seconds. I can say I made it through, buddy. <laughs> I don't want to make it through. I was. I ready. had to. I was horrified. I had to get I had to find out what. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I made it through, but I was, it was horrifying. I made it longer than 12 seconds. Uh, just, uh, just a side note. I was thinking about this comedy routine where somebody was talking about how he saw the, how see the, how he saw the, the Rob Lowe sex video 
And the guy's like, well, how is he? He says, it's not very good. He, he keeps stopping every few seconds to change the lighting. I think he really wants to direct. <laughs> I've heard that one. You know, it is funny, though. But you talk about, like, two girls, one cup. That kind of stuff, Um, like, particularly Tub Girl would be another one that you, you, you send a friend just not, to, to no. shock him. I will not look up Tub Girl, Brian. You're not going to get me again. <laughs> what you think that you think that I would suggest Goatsy? No. Or Lemon Party? None of those things. They're awful. Don't yeah. check them out. Wait, Lemon Party. Wait. When you're talking about Goatsy, are you talking about the guy who did that song somebody I used to know? <laughs> That's Gautier, but uh oh, but okay. but it's just as bad. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, on to some other stuff that actually started cuz I recall I'm going to say about a decade ago some guy walked into an art gallery um, and walked out with a display of um, porcelain, or not porcelain, um, plaster penises, uh, because it bothered him too much. So he purchased it and walked away and destroyed it, or what? Or he stole it? Destroyed. He actually ended up returning it, but he took it and I get and walked left with it. And finally, um, after it made the news and some stuff came up, he returned it, but it bothered him. And I couldn't find that one, so it's like, okay, let's talk about penis as an art. So obviously the most famous one is David's Michelangelo, or Michelangelo's David, which I think everyone's familiar with. But that one's definitely a famous art, plaster art, or whatever marble that shows a clear penis, undeniable penis. And that's definitely a work of art. Yeah, so, we're talking about Michelangelo's David. Mm. By modern standards, I think I could deny that's a penis. <laughs> if, it's a, if it isn't the size of a horse's... Is there some evolution that's occurred yeah, that I don't, I don't that I I'm don't, not aware of? No, probably not. In the human species. No. <laughs> I, I do know that um humans have, have the largest genitalia in um proportion to their body of all the great apes. Yeah, but this guy just got out of the pool, if you know what I'm saying. Clearly shows a penis and there's a lot of other statues from the time. You know, back then obviously it wasn't to show, um, you know, that, hey, look, guys actually have penises. We're not going to worry about clothing or artwork. This is so easy to joke about because it's so unoffensive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, is it unoffensive because, because we know it's art or is it unoffensive because we've seen it so many different times and it's so part of our culture that nobody's shocked anymore? Mm. You know? I, I don't know. Is it art because it's art or is it art because we just, we know it's art? Or right. is it art because in our minds, well, Michelangelo did it, it must be art. Right, but if it, if a woman's standing there nude with him, well, I mean, I, it, it's still just as unoffensive to me, and I, and neither one of them come across as pornographic. Why is it that, that I, but to some people, this is pornographic. The moment that you start uncovering things, it's pornographic. Yeah. And so, of course, the next art thing I put up here I found was Penis Art Gallery. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> we, we come from a lot of the roots of this country, a lot of the early settlers to this country, uh, you know, speaking of, speaking of the, the first settlers in the, the first colonies in the 13 original colonies were very, very puritanical in their thinking. And that attitude has come down through the years. And boy, I wish we could get rid of, rid of it, but it's still here. Yeah. But like I said, for those of you who actually want to see art that is definitely sexual in nature, you want to see penises, um, this next page is for you. Penis art. That's what it's called. And it shows penises. Um, it has, you know, various penises. It has yarn penises, 
um, paintings of penises, one um, giant painting of a penis on a uh, drawbridge that I, I actually had remembered reading the article on way back when. Basically, these guys graffiti the bridge, and so when it's um, up, you can clearly see a penis on it. Uh, one thing that looks like a crossbow penis. Uh, <laughs> okay, but there, there's two on here that I, I particularly love. I, I like the one with the with uh, the woman in the dress um, with the with the four penises lined up, and she's kind of hopping over them. Oh, on the beach, yeah, I yeah, like that too. I love that one, and then I like the one with the with the guy who's who's trying to um, to suck so his own penis and the, with the woman, yeah, fellatio. yeah, give himself fellatio, and, and the woman that that that's trying to lick her own breasts. I I, I think that that's fabulous. I like the crocheted one the best. That's the, the, the crocheted one is good. The one from yeah. uh, the one the one from uh, a Clockwork Orange. Yeah, where the nose of the penis, and there's also one that looks like a bronze couple where they interchange. You know, you have a man and woman. Oh yeah. The penis. The man had the vagina, which is an interesting piece. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah it, that it, one caught my eye. This is definitely an interesting sight to look through. But are they porn? Um, I. I don't don't honestly. I, I don't find any of it arousing. I, I find a lot of it quite interesting and intriguing to look at. Does it does it have to be arousing to be porn? If you watch something and you're not aroused, is it automatically not porn? What uh, makes I, something I, porn? Again, I I kind of think you know I, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce a new term here. If I if I find something arousing, I don't tend to think of it as pornography. I tend to think of it as erotica. Sure. Okay. okay. Uh, whereas pornography, again, despite my flippant remark from earlier. Pornography is a bad word. If we say something is pornography, we're saying it's wrong. If we say something is pornography, we're saying it's 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 nasty and we shouldn't like it. Does it imply vulgarity? Like again, it that's does. a subjective it marker. Totally, but... It totally implies vulgarity. In that case, I would consider nothing we've talked about to be porn. Some of it's erotica, but nothing to me that we've talked about so far here has been vulgar. I don't need. Yeah, that, that's weird because I mean, if it, it's even that is subjective because what 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 somebody finds vulgar, somebody else may may not. Well, you know the story of a person we know whose mother was looking at the Boris Blejo, um art book I had and got upset really quick and called it porn. And she hadn't even gotten to the nudity um, part. She just got called it porn because there were scantily clad women. He has some nudity. It's mild nudity. It's not much. Scantily but- clad women can be porn. Boris Vallejo is pretty mild these days. I, 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 the problem is, is, is Mac is right. It's highly subjective. I agree. Um, completely subjective. That's what, well, but that's, you know, art and porn are both definitely subjective things. Right. But here's the problem is that art is okay in school. Porn is not. So how do we draw a line? How do we make this distinction with, with as obje- as objectively as possible? And that is the problem. Nope. If it's getting a National Endowment for the Arts grant, it's probably <laughs> pornography. <laughs> oh. It's probably pornography. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the next thing I do it because I, um, you know, we grew up. At least me and Brian. Sean's a little older than I'm not sure where Terry is, but um, when we were teenagers, the Biggest album ever came out, Nirvana Nevermind. And oh, I see, I'm, I'm older. I know that album, but I might be older than you are. <laughs> so I remembered that um, my sister-in-law, actually, not my sister-in-law, my stepsister, had a problem with the album cover because it features a naked baby boy, and you can clearly see his penis. Because he's floating in a pool of water, right? He's, he's floating in swimming. 
Yeah. You know, dollar on a fish hook being pulled and he's swimming after it. Yeah. Uh, but to me, you know, brilliant, brilliant um, imagery there. I mean, that, that's a really great image. But mm-hmm. you can see the little guy's penis. Um, it had it offended people, and apparently Walmart and Kmart actually put stickers right over the penis. So in order, it's going to hurt when that sticker comes off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, had it been me, I would have done a guy chasing a donut. No, uh, yeah, Weird Al. Actually, I have a funny story on that. My friend Mark, who um is not a big Weird Al fan, was over, we were hanging out in my house one day, and he went and listened to Nirvana, and he accidentally grabbed the Weird Al one because you know the covers are so similar, and put it in. And of course, the song, you know, the first song is smells like Nirvana, which is the exact same music. It smells like Teen Spirit. So it took him a little bit to realize he had put in the wrong album. Yeah, he's sitting there going, you know, Cobain is a lot more coherent than I remember him being. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but okay. Wow, so, so you have a list really of albums weird. here. What did I take? You know, um, when, when I think about this, though, in the same vein, is the Red Hot Chili Peppers album cover where they're um, where they're yeah. wearing socks over their um, genitals and walking across the street. Is that Mother's? I'll never get the poster. What's that? I don't think that was an album cover. I think no, that was a poster. It was an album. I remember it on an album, um, but it might have been on the inside fold. I don't remember being oh, on really? the album. But they do list Red Hot Chili Peppers' Mother's Milk. Yeah, but that's different. That's a isn't that just a um that album cover? Let me look at if it's what I'm thinking. Yeah, because it's a woman and there you know there's a flower on one breast and yeah. What, what I'm kind of surprised they don't have the Rolling Stones Black and Blue on here. Is that a controversial one then? Look it up. But yeah, it's it's controversial. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. To, you know, some of these I knew, like um, Pantera's "Far Beyond Driven." Um, I have the album, and I actually have a T-shirt with that picture on it because at the time I didn't realize what the picture was. It's not necessarily a T-shirt I would have bought otherwise because um, we went to a Pantera concert, and that's why I got T-shirts. I was buying T-shirts from every concert I went to. Basically, the the original image that is hard to tell is basically someone getting a drill up the ass, yeah. and yeah, it's kind of blurry, and if you just glance at it, you don't quite understand what you're looking at. They 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 make one of those now called the Drildo. I keep it next to my Itachi wand. <laughs> the magic wand. <laughs> I I do find amusing that in the religious section they threw Holy Diver in there, which is a, it, the cover is a brilliant. It's a brilliant pun. Basically, it shows the demon, which is is featured on all of Dio's albums, casting a priest wrapped in heavy chains into. Uh, into the ocean, basically holy diver. Now you look through some of these. You you look at okay. I see what they're going at. It's it's not that bad. Others, it's like you know they're really pushing it. But it's in you know it's something to look at some of these um, album artworks, which are pretty intense and pretty interesting and pretty artistic. And it's you know they they have controversy over them. Some of them really not all of not all of them are pornography controversies though. I'm seeing yeah yeah. Well, the first batch is sex. The second batch is what religious, and then trademark, which isn't, and then other. But I didn't. I, I basically looked through all the sex ones. I, I didn't pay too much attention to the rest because, you know. But it's it, you know interesting to see all the um, controversial stuff that goes on. Wasn't it? You remember when they started putting uh, censorship labels on a lot of these albums? Wasn't it Dan Quayle's wife, Marilyn Quayle, that brought? No. No, actually, you're thinking it was actually Tipper Gore. Who oh, it was Tipper that. Gore, right? Okay, yeah, she, right, was right, putting, right. she was putting stickers on them, not for album covers, but mainly for lyrics. Yeah, yep. for content. Yep. Yeah, and the, the, uh, that, that was, was the, the PMRC, Parents Music Resource Center. Because that's when you had um, 
Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister and John Denver on the same side, sitting together as allies, uh, you know, and it's like, you know, why would you know, John Denver be def- uh, defending that kind of lyrics? She did a lot of good with those stickers, though. Because, you know, people knew right where to look for the offensive lyrics. From <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Badge of honor. They knew yeah. what albums to buy. That's right. I, you you know, know, I remember. Actually, uh, let, me, let me just throw this out here. Talking of offensive lyrics in songs, it's a, it's a question of how good a lyricist you are. Nobody ever really made commentary about some of the stuff that Ian Anderson wrote in some of his lyrics, but some of the stuff is just downright uh, graphic. Go check out the lyrics to the song Hunting Girl. Well, how about uh, even Robert Johnson has a lyric uh, telling telling a woman that he wants to check her oil. (laughs) All right. So the next article here, uh, Terry, is yours. Yeah. So um, I want to talk about Volvo fashion. So I wrote an article um, called Bear Curious a while ago about um, the evolving American pubic grooming trends. Yes. And basically, I mean. What's to do with Swedish cars? (laughs) <laughs> not Volvo. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so our grooming habits have evolved over time in America. And, you know, you might know from watching porn or whatever that um, women in particular, but men too, are tending to remove a lot more pubic hair than they have in previous generations. So younger people tend to remove more hair and older people do not. And then women typically remove more hair. So... Um, Complete deforestation tends to be more prominent in women under 30. Um, so the gradual regression to baldness um, trend is it's kind of a hot mess of feminism and social status and women's empowerment because like Anne Frank was talking about not being able to see anything. Well, when you remove the hair, you can see a lot more. So it kind of um, demystifies female arousal to remove the hair um, and also externally imposed standards of what, which women men are supposed to find fuckable. Um, and another reason um, that I think uh, is an argument that people have raised for removing all of their pubic hair um, is that most of us are walking around with about a quarter of a gram of fecal bacterial slurry <laughs> around our, <laughs> around our bottoms. <laughs> so maybe the hair helps, helps get that a little bit cleaner, but um, they're so commonplace that bald vulvas are so commonplace that pubic hair is now a fetish category in the porn industry because it's so uncommon people want to look at it. Um, and there exists sexually active young men who have never, ever encountered a woman with untamed hair. Um, but what's interesting about this is, an, is that a number of men in the cohort, um, in the younger cohort that, you know, is maybe not a hair fetishist, they um, have started speaking out about how they think women should groom themselves in order to be fuckable. And so I linked a couple of articles about that. Um, it's pretty hilarious. It's just these guys like, um, you know, ladies, please remove your hair. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get with you if you don't. Um, and beyond baldness, women are now also vajazzling, which is um, gluing little designs and crystals around their vulvas or using what are called merkins, which is a pubic wig. So let that sink in for just a second. <laughs> <laughs> Is that? So, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you, you linked to some, yeah, Murray, the feathers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's still, I hadn't heard of Merkins before this, and it's kind of weirding me out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so Merkins get pretty arty. It's as near as I can tell, there are two kind of reasons for using or motivations for using Merkins. One is that you can imagine in, um, 
historically accurate films prior to this current trend of baldness, um, actors need to uh, wear merkins to look, you know, credible for the period that they're filming about if it, you know, if it's in the past. Um, but it's also, you know, it might be for privacy. Like uh, I saw a couple of sites that talked about merkins and burlesque to kind of conceal and then, you know, Merkins being used at the same time as pasties. I saw something about that. Right, yeah, yeah similar to pasties. Yeah. Never seen a merkin. How do they stay up? I suspect it's glue. I mean, if it's bare skin under there, it could be pretty easy to stick it on with sticky tape or glue. I, I don't know. How do men's toupees stay on? Well, the, the, I think there are, you know, things they put on the glue. I've, I've never had the off toupee, yeah. but... Uh, would they use spirit gum? I mean, that's how you keep fake mustaches and stuff on, but that stuff seems like it might be kind of uh, abrasive down there. Yeah, I don't know. I'm wondering if you don't actually insert something in there and hold it in place. Well, but men, Ian, men can use Merkins too, remember, because uh, more men are removing their pubic hair as well. Well, in that case, though, you have something to kind of wrap it around. You know, in, in the women's case, you know, you can't attach it to anything. The only, you know, that, that's my thoughts. Like, well, a, a man, I, I can see wearing one. It's like, okay, we're going to rubber band this thing around your dick. Well, the woman, you know, well, <laughs> I, I talked about the fact that this this thing weirds me out a little bit. Ian, you are weirding me out way more. Well, I what I do is I put the mouse ears on either side of the rubber band and just. You know, <laughs> So what's weird about, I mean, not, I'm not, whatever, people find whatever they find arousing, but what's interesting, what's interesting to me is that, um, young women especially are having all of their pubic hair removed and then gluing hair back on from either other people for the realistic looking merkins or the, um, hair fetishists or whatever, or the fur of animals or feathers, which is just so fascinating. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and I think that this, um, is kind of the the more fun end of a trend that I find a little bit troubling, where we have women engaging in increasingly invasive cosmetic procedures like um, anal bleaching, bleaching the, the skin around the sphincter of your anus, and uh, labiaplasty, which is plastic yeah. surgery to make, you know, to reduce the human variation among labia. And uh, usually to make it smaller, um, right. I think is the case. Right. Well, I read an article a while ago um, about, I guess in, Years ago, I don't know if it's still current, but in Japanese pornography, they kind of pixelate that, the full shots of, of women's vulvas, kind of they blur the edges. So women were looking at themselves going, wait a minute, I don't, I don't look They exactly. do that in some anime as well, yeah. yes. Something is wrong with me. I need to get surgery to fix it so I look more like the anime. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's, I'm so, not sure what kind of surgery you'd get to have oh, a whole you know bunch of different colored squares. Okay, there. I've well, seen like some of the uh, um, tattoos and stuff that are down there, and some of them like do that um, in that area. Is that what you're talking about? That no, they, I'm talking about like uh, labial, like if they think their labia minora are okay. maybe too large. Right. If they protrude past the labia majora, they might have them reduced, or if they feel like they're the wrong shape, or they're not, you know, some imperfection compared to, you know, whatever these external standards are that they're seeing in pornography or whatever, art, whatever, I don't know. Um, and so women are having surgery to feel more confident about themselves because they don't look like they're supposed to look according to the trends of the day. And that is unfortunate because we see – because those trends we, we have seen initially with supermodels where, where women want to be that thin. Yeah. Um, and so now we're seeing the same kind of trends with pornography and different, I mean, that's a, that very unfortunate. You know, yeah. I wondered if a lot of the, the, uh, deforestation that we were talking about earlier might not have been inspired by some of the, some of the Japanese anime and Japanese, Japanese I... pornography. A lot of the Japanese anime tends to focus on rather 
young girls and appear young appearing girls. Right, but isn't that called a Brazilian? Why do they call it a Brazilian? Uh so the Brazilian wax is a way of removing hair that is everything front to back, like around the anus, around the top of the mons, all of it's just gone. Um and I I don't know if a Brazilian esthetician was the first to begin doing this. I don't know, but I don't I think that's unrelated to the Japanese anime. No, I think um, it is too. I but but I will make note of the fact that one of the articles seemed to indicate that while the people doing this are estheticians, they are not anesthetists. Which is unfortunate. Apparently it hurts a hell of a lot. It hurts a hell of a lot. Mm. Yes. So for research purposes, I got a Brazilian bikini wax last summer just because, just because I was writing about it and reading about it and having an opinion about it. I thought I had to just go see what it was all about. And yeah, it, wow, it's very painful. <laughs> like, uh, sweating feet kind of pain. Well, the Brazilian wax was first so named in modern times by the J Sisters Saloon in Manhattan. Founded in 1987 by seven sisters from Brazil. Ah, okay. can, I, can I just say that I am so glad that I am far more into um, psychics than I am to hair removal. <laughs> <laughs> or the psychic hair reading hair. hurts less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's well, impressive. Now, see, that's a question. What does more harm, Sylvia Brown or a Brazilian? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's Sylvia Brown. <laughs> so I have two questions that I didn't know how to answer about this. Uh, the first is, does the use of Merkins qualify as cosplay? I don't know what cosplay is exactly. Uh, no. Okay. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's cosplay, but it probably does qualify as like bedroom costuming. Yeah, I suppose you could use it in cosplay, but. You know, it's, it, the, the thing about cosplay is it's cosplay you're, you are basically trying to appear as a pop culture character from some fandom that you happen to be very, very into. But there are triple X fandoms that you could be out. You know, yeah. it, it cosplay would be if Ian showed up at a con as Doctor Who, or or Brian showed up as as Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he, he would count as cosplay? I'm totally doing that. I thought cosplay was sexual. I didn't realize. No, that. no, 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 not necessarily. No. I mean, basically. Although, I, although there is a there is probably a sexual component to a lot of cosplay. It in it in and of itself, it is not necessarily sexual. I mean, you're probably going to you're a lot of people are going to cosplay as something that they find either. It's more something they you do would at Comic Con. It would increase their sexual confidence to think of themselves as that as that fictional character, but not necessarily to, you know, because the costume's going to have to come off if you do something. Yeah, no. So if you pick up a chick as Wolverine, say, so at some point yeah. you have to, yeah, okay. Yeah, at some point the sidebirds are going to have to come off. <laughs> <laughs> um. So my other question and if is, if you actually grew them out like that, more power to you. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it's called when you stick it on your face instead of on your genitalia. It's not a merkin. It's probably some, yeah. Anyway. It's a um, muttonkin. Muttonkin. <laughs> Mutton chopkin. <laughs> so my second question is, are people having sex under surgical lighting conditions? Because seriously, it seems like there's an awful lot of attention or at least discussion of how women are supposed to look. And I mean... If they want to have sex under surgical lighting, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, but, that's a whole other subject. In go and to Google and find out if that's a fetish. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have a <laughs> feeling. What is that? Rule, 30, what is it, rule 34 or whatever. <laughs> now, now we're getting into like female body stereotypes and stuff where, how, how, you know, I mean, they're probably, I mean, you hear, you hear cases where, where, um, women 
or, or men, it could be either, I suppose, don't want to have sex with the lights on because, you know, they don't want to be seen or, you know, and stuff like that. And that's, I mean, that's unfortunate, but I don't think that anybody wants to be seen under surgical lighting under normal circumstances. Right. So what <laughs> conditions would require you to bleach the skin around your anus? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> the lighting in my house is not that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I use a flashlight and, you know, you can see a lot. <laughs> My wife is laughing, so that that's good. I'm okay. Whew. I didn't get in trouble with that one. <laughs> that's how I judge if I've gone too far. It depends on the look she gives me. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's funny. So, I mean, I guess, you know, we're, we're uh, if you were, um, there's a show. I, yeah, I, I want to mention this. It's a show called Dave's Old Porn, and it's Dave Attell. He's a comedian. He's a, he's a pretty funny guy. And, and it's him with other like porn stars and stuff like that looking at old pornography. And I find it quite hilarious. But one of the things that they definitely talk about is the evolution of, of pubic hair. And, you know, cause, you know, you look at the seventies and it's just big bushes and, and slowly but surely it starts to get trimmed down over time to this point where adult women look like children. And, and I, and I, and, it, it, maybe it's my age, but I do not like that look. <laughs> so that's a whole question. Women that I – this is such anecdotal, but uh, women my age tend to not remove as much hair, and we're in the 40-ish age cohort. Um, a lot of us have been in monogamous relationships for a long time, so we maybe haven't been out and about as much um, and, you know, are in established habits. But, yeah, when we start talking about this, we talk about that. Like, is it – uh, is it appropriate to infantilize women? Is it all part of that supermodel trend that you were talking about where we're so skinny that we're not supposed to have breasts anymore, so we have to get breast augmentation, and we, you know, we're supposed to look so young that we don't have hair anywhere, and so we remove all our pubic hair. Is it all part of infantilizing women, or is it, um, like I was saying earlier, is it empowering to expose your arousal like that by removing the hair? I don't know. You know, it. it I had, um, I was uh, out with, um, uh, the guys I bowl with and we were bowling and one of the women on the leagues was, um, not thin by any means. Um, and she was a fairly attractive woman. And the guy says, boy, she'd be really cute if she lost some weight. And I went, no, she's said, already cute. She's, she's already cute. She's, I mean, I, I, I get so tired. I, I kind of like that Victorian, you know, that, you know, with some, with some meat on their bones. I get it's so tired of, of all these skinny women. I mean, if you break it, you got to buy it. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's, you know, and it's that whole question again, too, about like, who, who cares what he thinks about how she should look? Like, it's her business how she looks or how she wants to dress herself or how she wants to groom her hair or whatever, you know? Right. Brian, if you break it, you gotta buy it is replacing, if you like it, you better put a ring on it in the lexicon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. We, we are obsessed with body types. Yeah. And there's yeah. no way around it. I mean, we, and, Every single one of us has a body type that we prefer. Whether we like well, it or not, we do. Well, and I would think, I mean, I don't know. I think, I would think that women who are slightly heavier set or who, like you were saying, have a few curves, I, maybe I'm just making this up, but I, it seems to me evolutionarily adaptive to be attracted to women who are likely to be capable of childbearing, who are actually having menzies and ovulating and whatnot, and who are not too thin to bear children. One like would I, think that. It's interesting, but, yeah. Um, you know, this whole, I, I, I guess it all kind of, I think it kind of started with Twiggy. Twiggy? 
Twiggy. She was a model in the 60s. Mm. Yeah, we're not talking about Buck Sorry. Rogers' robot companion in the TV series. <laughs> that's funny because that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> she was, she had a, she, see, that's kind of the infantilizing thing too, though. In she looked about, like a young boy. She did, uh, yeah. She looked like a child. She looked like a boy. She had a cute pixie haircut. There is, there are so many things from her appearance that we still look to. She had the huge eyes. She had the, you know, she had the incredibly thin, um, boyish physique no hips no breasts and you know she looked i don't know if she's alive or not any longer but i think she is but i'm not positive she probably uh, doesn't look like that anymore though um no she did, is not alive anymore 1977 oh. oh no that was her marriage sorry uh, so her marriage is not alive but we don't know about her i don't know about her it doesn't say anything about death anyway but those characteristics you mentioned, though, are juvenile characteristics, like the the large eyes, kind of the bobblehead, yeah. is uh, juvenile. Yeah, boy, and we, I I'm looking at these pictures, and I I do not find this person attractive. Yeah, but she's a she is kind of an iconic. She's kind of an iconic. Uh, she's an ideal. She's like an ideal, and a lot of our supermodels now, well, they're twiggy but taller. You know what? She is still alive, and uh, she looks better as an older woman. She's yep. still pretty damn thin, though. And I am I remembering that, like in the, I might not be remembering correctly, but I'm thinking that in the '80s ish, um, post Twiggy, that supermodels were not so super thin, though, like they are today. Like um, I don't remember Cindy Crawford being like skeletal thin. No, Cindy Crawford yeah. was not. But you know, the she's kind of more the exception than the rule. Well, who's um who's the one who who's got her own modeling show? Who 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 developed a reputation for not? You talking being... about Tyra Banks? Yeah, there or... you go. Okay, but she's still not like plump and curvy. She's still, I mean, fairly, you know, in fairly good shape. Right. Yep. Uh, Cindy Crawford's pretty thin. Yeah. See, I should be looking instead of just. I mean, Marilyn Monroe <laughs> was was actually a fairly petite woman too, and she's known for being curvy. So I, I I don't know I I think that I think that um we end up with an unhealthy body type when we're starving ourselves to look like some of these other people um yeah. and and that's what really concerns me about this is what are we doing to ourselves to try and achieve these looks Yeah and how do we teach both young men and young women to accept human variation and not to limit ourselves to just one thing that's fashionable we, at the time How do we teach to be attracted to the person and not the not the the ideal. Okay, but I, I I do think that there's a genetic component to this. That uh, I mean, we have to look at that. There there is a nature component to this. I think if it were a nature component, we would actually be attracted to a woman who looks like she actually is fertile and can bear children. Well, and I think that uh, I think that a lot of times we are. I mean, big breasts are one of the keys for that. And I think that yeah. when you when you look around, that that is one of the things that many people talk about. Even though we we see all these women w that that are that are skinny and practically have no breasts, we know and it's I guess it's anecdotally, right? But that men seem to prefer women with larger breasts. Yeah. And so perhaps these starving model types are not actually what most men are attracted to, but they've been told that's what they're supposed to like. I think it's cultural. Yeah. I think also there is an evolutionary component to it, mainly because, you know, men are, men are evolved from hunters. And, you know, we see a woman who looks like a skinny model and we think, oh, that means most of the meat's going to go to me. 
it, it, it bothers me because there are a lot of, a lot of women just because they're overweight who are still very attractive. But they don't think they are by this. They don't think they are right. I mean, it's a, uh, we've got a huge problem in this country, Apparently and probably not just in this country. Crickets, by the way, Brian, when I'm, you edit this, what's that? Apparently, that meat remark I just made needs needs crickets when you edit this. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'll, I'll uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> don't worry. Funny material and laughter will be added in later. <laughs> <laughs> so, does this impact men? I mean, I I ha- I don't know, but I have a sense that men are under far less pressure to either remove pubic hair or change. You know, no, but we're changed. under we're under pressure to you know if we don't have a, a six inch tool then we don't feel like we're actually, you know, we don't feel like we're actually sexually there. We don't feel like we're going to be able to satisfy somebody sexually. And so there's a, there's a confidence issue. Oh God. What is his name? What, what is the, the one, the porn star who has, he has a fairly large penis. James Holmes? No, 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 no. Uh, that guy with alive. the mustache? Yeah, exactly. The guy with the mustache. What is his name? I can't stand him. I think I know who you're talking about. I, I know, yeah, I know you can't stand him, but none of us can. But, but one of the things that he the said mustache. is he says that there are a few size queens out there, but I have gotten more women off on my tongue than my penis ever has. Well, you know, during the Michelangelo's David discussion, like, uh, I, again, I don't, I can't generalize across all women, but like I've never before ever had a conversation about the size of his package, right? Looking at David, like with whomever, like nobody's ever commented on that to me before you guys did. Unless you're flirting <laughs> with a UPS man. Right, it's exactly. Okay to comment well, on the size here, of that's package. an interesting question, right? Is it just guys? Do we just look at that and go, well. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't bat an eye at it. I and and, and here's the thing that. is that we're looking at that and we're laughing like, yeah, yeah, boy, that's a little one. And then we're going, oh, man, is it really that small? <laughs> you know, I, I was going to say elephant I ears. There I, is a, I think that there is a societal ideal of what the male genitals are supposed to look like now. And even if that's not a true ideal, it's it's just like the supermodel thing. There is... Real men don't necessarily look like that, but we think we're all supposed to look like porn stars. Right, exactly. There's there's an issue there. But here's the thing is that women are having breast implants. They have larger breasts. They have better self-esteem. And men will have surgeries, and they're not as successful as breast implants to try and make their penises bigger. They'll cut ligaments and stuff like that to try and you know extend the penis to make it bigger. Um, people are doing terrible things to themselves to try and have bigger breasts and bigger penises. Just because we're intolerant of variation. Yeah, because yeah, well, yeah, that's part well, of it. I because mean, societally, we think we're supposed to have this. Because you're not, supposed we think to weigh, we're supposed to look different yeah. than what we are, and if we look different than what we are, we'll be more, we'll be more liked. Right. A woman is supposed to be five eight. She's supposed to weigh ninety five pounds, and she's supposed to have double D breasts. Several of these statements seem to be mutually exclusive to me. Well, but that's my point. Right. Right. <laughs> And, and my wife laughs, so once again, I'm okay. Well, you guys have heard all the stuff with um, Emma Crombie and Fitch, right? Yeah, Amber Crombie and Fitch. I call it Amber Zombie and Lich, but yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, where they, they market the to a certain dead. type of person, and they're and that's who they're going to market to, and they're fine with doing it. And, and they don't even make clothes and beyond a certain size because nope. they don't want fat people to be able to wear them. Exactly. Well, men make it bigger because men are you know more muscular and stuff. That's what they want. But the women, you know, yeah, they don't make the larger sizes. And there, there was, this, you know, the backlash has been amusing because I saw one um, 
plus-sized woman who basically went through and she did all the um the all the ads that they, they put out but with her instead of the um skinny woman and they were gorgeous she did an awesome job at that and then the other one i really loved was this guy um did a thing this will show them and what he did was he went to all the thrift stores and he bought everything he could find by that brand and then went out and handed it out to the homeless Ooh. <laughs> Do you remember when we had the discussion about uh, the the TARDIS dress? Yes. And there were people hating on this woman for the fact that she was a bigger a bigger lady, but she had this beautiful costume that she had hand sewn. Well, and plus she was an attractive woman. I mean that that was the thing that killed me about that whole thing is that she was not an ugly woman. She was attractive. She was very attractive, but because she was displaying herself and she was not a societal ideal, people are hating. Yeah, well, a certain segment. I don't know. Man, I, I hate to think that that's the majority. I hope it's not. I hope it's a vocal minority. Right. I think it's more of a vocal minority. But I think that I, I think unfortunately there is a there is a majority who is going to stay a silent majority because that vocal minority makes them feel like they should have these opinions, even if they don't. Yeah. Right. Hey, I guess you know what I mean. We've all talked about how we feel about pornography. Terry, you're the only one that we don't know. What what yes. is your take on pornography? Um, so I had a conversation with my trophy husband about this. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> because I in preparation for this because he has a background in fine art. So I was asking him the demarcation question. And we were talking about um intent. And we talked about both the intent of the artist or the person who created whether it's art or pornography, and the intent of the viewer or the participant on the other side of that. And he thinks that both of those streams kind of play into whether it's art and pornography and that, that it is very subjective. So he brought up uh, Robert Maplethorpe, who did a series of, I think they're photographs, I, I should look this up, um, of anal penetrative male photographs. Okay. Very artistic. I've artistically composed, right? Um but um, people, of course, just lost their crackers over it because it was pornography. So um, let's see. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of male nudity. Um, I, what I'm recalling is anal penetrative stuff. But yeah, a lot of a lot of nudity, a lot of graphic. But they're beautifully done black and white photographs. Um, so we talked about that a little bit. And like how I guess the other thing is, um, in my opinion, the reaction of the viewer might. You know, like it's a subjective label. I don't know how you, what's pornography to me might not be pornography to someone else. Like that rape business that Ian was talking about in that Bates Motel. Like I find just hearing about that, just like imagining, I haven't even seen it. I just find anything having to do with non-consent completely offensive and ridiculous and vulgar and unnecessary. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's just me. And you that, know what? That's an interesting point. The unnecessary point is interesting too, because in that particular show that we were talking about what whether or not it was necessary is is a is a reasonable question to ask um but i unfortunately think that cons um but intention by the artist is kind of irrelevant in many ways um and i in and even though i brought it up when i was talking about the anne frank diaries mm -hmm. um that her her she was intending to make porn if somebody perceives something in a certain way it does not matter the artist's intent they're going to they're, they're going to classify it um, right. No matter what. So as much as I would like intent to be part of that, it's hard to include it. 
So who gets to classify it though? Who's well, the ultimate authority it, on public? That's a reasonable who is an ultimate authority. And um unfortunately there is no there's no good answer to that. I, I there's I, no I, hard I, and fast rule. Yeah. As to whether it's art or pornography, it's gonna be decided in the mind of each person. Right, but and, there is a problem there is that we have to decide what to what is okay for our children in school. But a lot of it comes down to if you don't like it, you don't have to be exposed to it. Well, but once again, it comes back to opt in, opt out. Yeah. And who but, gets to tell me what I get to look at? Who well, exactly. gets to censor my? There, there's like, another. Yeah. That's like a, just because I didn't like how you guys described that scene doesn't mean I get to tell you not to watch that show. Of course not. That's a, totally up to you. Well, in that particular case, though, that scene was horrible, and it was meant to be horrible. They 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 went out of their way to make it a horrible scene. Yeah, right. it, fit, it fits with the feel of the show for what they were trying for. Yeah, and, and that's totally up to, I mean, like I said, that's, that's fine. I don't, I don't feel like I get to say whether they can make it or whether you guys could watch it or whoever could watch it. Although personally, I, I feel most art has a sexuality to it that, you know, because the, the art is a passion. When you create something artistic, you're putting your passion into it and there's going to be some sexuality that gets in there. Ah, but sexuality and pornography, right. once again, we have another line we've got to draw. Yeah, that, well, and that's the thing. It, it gets, you know, uh, most of it is personal preference. You know, I, I'm going to not deny that your triple X movies are pornography. They're specifically made to be pornography. So like, what makes them pornography rather than art, though? Uh, well, they could also be art as well, but they're definitely pornography. They're made, they are made to be rants. They yeah, are made see, but well, then now we have an ambiguity with the terms because, yes, it very well could be art. Somebody are is they producing made to be something there. Or are they made to be erotic? Yeah. So anyway, um, we, we need to move on. Um, cause this discussion can go on forever, but I did, I did want to make some points because I, I put some videos in here and the only one that I really, um, want to touch on, even though the other ones are funny, is the one where they showed lesbian pornography to lesbians and to actual lesbians. To actual I, lesbians. That was the only right. one I found val of value. The right. The other ones are funny and, 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 and interesting, but this one is interesting because lesbian porn is not being made for lesbian. It's being made for for men. Well, I'll admit to that. What they picked did not sound like the standard lesbian point I've seen. But it was. But the reactions were fantastic. The <laughs> shoe and the vagina and yeah, I've never seen one like that. I don't know if I would enjoy it. That didn't. I, I mean, just, I, I've seen stuff where they, hey, let's see what we can stick up there. And it's like that doesn't arouse me. That doesn't interest me. Right. But this is I, a, this uh, is a I love case the lady where... saying, "Oh, I know what it sounds like when somebody's faking it. And she's faking it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. Like, Lesbian porn made for men that lesbians would enjoy because you know there's some that there probably more is like yeah so, I mean, presumably but I I imagine that the pornography art market is primarily men and that's who they're making it for I I imagine that there's very little um, lesbian porn being that targeted at lesbians because I don't think that they're a big enough um, market in order to in order to market to. Which may be wrong, it may be unfortunate, but I think that that is the reality. Agreed. I think it's cultural. I think women aren't supposed to enjoy porn, so we don't think we're supposed to. So we saw that Fifty Shades of Grey book mm -hmm. come out. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's okay for women to read erotica. Yeah, you know, because of well, if that's erotica, though, that's not porn. Right. True. Some well, but it is porn, porn. <laughs> whether it's erotic or not. It's 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 porn no. too. Brian, you missed my whole point. I got your whole point. That's fine. My it whole point is, it's erotica if you like it. It's porn if you think it's if you think it's filth. 
Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I think it. I that's not my thing. Again, have, have any of you read that book? I have I ha- not. I nope. have not. No, nope. I read reviews about it. Okay. I have friends who love it. I read I it, and I unfortunately was not turned on by it. The reviews that I read about it made it sound like it's not something I would be interested in either. You know, just there's. I, I read it because everybody was talking about it, and I'm like, well, let's find out what it is. And it was. Gary, I can I can just hear the comments coming that are going to be showing up on the site now after this posts. <laughs> yeah. You have friends that are really into it. Can you introduce me? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Do they shave their pubic hair off? Yeah. I, I would like to <laughs> talk to Merkins? somebody. I, I really like to talk to somebody who read it and was really enjoyed it. Um, because I well, unfortunately that, didn't. That gets to your point though earlier about some people find stuff, you know, everybody finds different things arousing and yeah, maybe. Oh, we yeah, yeah. If somebody, a, if somebody enjoyed that book. for like uh, werewolf and vampire erotica. Yeah. I can see why some, why somebody might enjoy that book. You know, I'm, I didn't, I didn't read it going, oh boy, I don't think anybody would like this. No, I could see why some people liked it. I just, not, I, I found the writing mediocre and I could, and I, and I wasn't gripped by her, um, by her writing enough to enjoy it. So I, <laughs> the woman who, the woman who cuts my hair, who used to cut my hair, who no longer cuts my hair because of this incident, um, was talking about this book and I, she had read it and loved it. And I told her I hadn't read it, but I didn't think I would like it. And she said, Oh, come on. You know that every woman just wants to get smacked around. It's like, no, we actually, wow. actually know. <laughs> I, I, can I say that um, even even the woman in that is the main character in the book didn't just want to get smacked around um, to to give it to defend it a little bit. That that isn't the point of the book. No, I'm sure it's not. You know, I realize it's much more layered than that. But her take was, yeah, that oh, every woman like secretly likes getting smacked around, and I was like, no, actually, no. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to put, I'm going to find this article and I'm going to put it in a future podcast, but I had a conversation with Sam talking about the fact that this, this article she read, not, not the fact, but the article that she read that talked about the, talked about romance novels have done terrible, terrible things to women and how they, how they see themselves and how, you know, essentially how, how they view the world. Well, there's yep. certain there's a certain point of that that it it it's it sets up expectation for men, and if you're reading these and those are your expectations, you're going to be very disappointed. Right. Well, and you know she made the point that all the characters in the romance novels are alpha males, and I, I think the person made the point in the article that it was either Sam or the person in the article made the point that she's actually met a couple of alpha males and. They were not somebody that she would want to spend a whole lot of time with. I don't yeah. know. My my wife reads a lot of those um, romance novels. Has she read Fifty Shades of Grey? And no, she has not read Fifty Shades of Grey. No. Yeah, she prefers literatica, she says. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hey, you know, sure, if you like reading stuff that's written by people from India. So? Is there an alternative that you would recommend? Well, yeah. I would I'd recommend something with punctuation. <laughs> <laughs> And that can actually maintain a uh, make maintain a tense as far as as far as as far as the temporally. Uh, yeah temporally and you know maintain a viewpoint as well. Um, so maybe though now that it's okay for us to look at porn and read erotica or whatever, maybe that will open the floodgates to quality um, products geared towards women. You know what? I, there are some quality products being geared towards women, and fortunately, I can't name any. But if you're interested, 
the you person want me to put some Amazon links up to some of Sam's stuff? Um, well, no. Uh, the the person who can help you best um, is a podcast called um, Sex Nerd Sandra. Uh, well, this it's Sex Nerd is the podcast, and Sex Nerd Sandra she does it, and she's talked to some of these people that are doing more. Um, female geared pornography and stuff like that. And I would think that there's some good resources for you there. Cool. Yeah. So I, 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 I would definitely recommend, I would recommend her show in general, um, a, as a woman doing a, doing a pro sex, um, podcast, um, from a female perspective, I think is fantastic. That's great. Yeah. All right. So are we just about, uh, I think that, do you I, think we've, uh, do you think we've beaten this one down to the nub? I, <laughs> I, I hope that none of us get uh, get wrist brains from shaking our fists at pornography. <laughs> yeah, you just wait until you see the terrible, terrible ideas I have for album art. You know, side note, I've got one of my blog posts or several of my blog posts titled 50 Shades of Green, and they're all about my bird. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so we've beaten this down to the nub. Uh, say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Gosh, I'm sore. Good night. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 